Life Audio. Welcome to the Real Refreshment Podcast. Join us as we dive into motherhood at the foot of the throne with your host, Rachel Carmen. If you are tired, overwhelmed, and feeling alone, this is the place for you. A place for real moms with real stories seeking real refreshment found only in the living God. Take a minute to visit rachelcarmen.com and join the community of Real Refreshment listeners who are taking the dare to be in the Word as a top priority in the journey of motherhood. All right, let's kick off this latest episode of the Real Refreshment Podcast. Here's your host, Rachel Carmen. All right, everybody. Today we are doing Mark 8. Yes, we are. And we will pick up right there after this. Is it hard to spark meaningful conversations with your kids? Whether you're a homeschool hero, planning activities for the next family vacation, or simply gathering around the dinner table, we've got something that can help. Introducing the Daily Family Conversation Starter by best-selling author Katie Clemens. This remarkable book offers 365 imaginative ways to connect with your children in just five minutes each day with prompts like, who made you laugh today? Or what would you do if you had a tail? These simple questions open up a world of laughter, curiosity, and deeper connections. From dinner time to sleepy time, the Daily Family Conversation Starter is your key to creating memories that will last a lifetime. Don't wait to transform your family's daily routine into an adventure of discovery and fun. Grab your copy of The Daily Family Conversation Starter today, wherever books are sold. But look around you, your family, your faith, they're not in the way. They are the way. From the creators of Jesus Revolution comes the incredible true story. It's going to be dangerous and scary and giving up. It's not an option. The story of one family's journey from down under to center stage. Unsung Hero, a for King and Country film starring Candace Cameron Bure and Terry O'Quinn. In theaters now. Visit unsunghero.movie to learn more. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Okay, we are doing Mark 8 today. This lands us squarely in the middle of the Gospel of Mark. There are 16 chapters. And so we are also, as we do Mark 8 today, we're finishing up part two of the book. So I just want to review a few things as we get started here today. We are studying Mark on the heels of a a five-part study of the life of the Apostle Peter, probably one of my most favorite characters in the Bible, and I know I say that a lot, so guilty as charged. But when we looked at the life of Peter, I said that I felt like there were five different story arc points in his life, and you can go back in the podcast and listen to that series, I, I feel like we pick up Peter and he's just super curious. Like, who is this Christ, this Jesus? John the Baptist points his disciples to Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And that cues Peter's curiosity. And I think curiosity about who Jesus is is not a bad place to start in your spiritual journey. Who is this man, right? On which history pivots, right? Before Jesus, before the cross of Calvary with BC, before Christ, before Calvary, right? And then after our Christ, then we have the other side of history, right? And so this is the event. His life is the event that splits history. Who is 
this. And so Peter was really curious. But then, not too far into the story, the details of which you can go back and chase in the podcast series, we find Peter's cocky. So you need to remember that the disciples thought they knew what Messiah was coming to do. And they assumed that his first advent was going to be what his second advent will be. So hang with me. They thought that his first advent was he was going to come as king. He was going to overthrow Roman rule. He was going to sit on the throne on the earth. That's what they thought. And yes, sign me up. I want to be a part of a revolution. So Peter and his compadres, the other disciples, they're all in. They think they know who he is. They've seen his miracles. They've seen all that he's done. And we see Peter get cocky. And that's a dangerous place to be. And we're going to talk some of the, t- the play out of that in our Mark 8 today. Not far after that, we see a confused Peter. And Peter's like, whoa, whoa, wait, what? He's really confused. This is not going the way he thought it was going to go. This is frankly not what he signed up for. He spent the last three years of his life following a revolutionary, he thought, only to see him headed towards the cross of Calvary. And he's confused, right? Then, again, I'm leaving a lot of gaps, hoping you'll go back and listen to this series and study it for yourself. We see a changed Peter. A completely changed Peter. You know, the knock, knock, knock of the women on the door on resurrection morning, three days after the crucifixion, three days after everything had gone terribly, terribly wrong. The women are like, uh, the tomb's empty and he's not there. And there's this foot race. And Peter goes from intense grief and despondency to Oh my goodness, right? And we see him on the shores of Galilee with the Christ, and Jesus meets him there. Jesus knows he had predicted his denials. He meets him in each one. Feed my sheep. And we have a changed Peter. He is not the same man that we find at the beginning of any one of the Gospels. No, 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 no. This Peter is changed. And I think the real encouragement of that point of Peter's story is this is what we're offered, right? We're offered this kind of substantial change, this kind of transformation. This is what Jesus offers each one of us, that we don't have to stay the miserable worm that we were when we first found Christ. No, through the workings of the Holy Spirit, through our study of his word and our living worthy and pursuing him and honoring him in word and deed and trusting and obeying him day in and day out, we're transformed into the likeness of his son. And we see that in the life of Peter, such that, story art point five, on the day of Pentecost, we see Peter take his stand. We see a confident Peter. Not a Peter confident in Peter, right? But Peter confident in Christ. And that's our goal, that our confidence would no longer be displaced in ourselves or in the things of this world or our successes or our positions or our possessions, but that our confidence would be rooted 
in the person of Jesus Christ. And we see that in Peter, right? So again, if you've not done that study, go back, listen to those podcasts, dare to dig in and dive deep into the word of God, into the gospels. All of those are interwoven to tell that story arc in the gospels. All of that's available to you. But it's because we did that study that I decided we would step in then to the gospel of Mark. And again, just to review, the gospel of Mark is... Peter's dictating what he saw and witnessed in the ministry of Christ to John Mark. So John Mark, Mark's gospel is written down literally by Mark, but it was dictated to Mark by Peter. And we see evidences of this throughout, most notably perhaps, is the use of the word immediately because that's the kind of person that Peter was. You know, so in this transformation that takes part that takes place in his life, we don't see a transformation of Peter such that we don't even recognize him on the other side of the transformation. No, Peter is still passionate, right? He is still enthusiastic about the truth. He is still willing to stand, but none of it's about him. It's all about God's glory and doing the will of God and giving the gospel to those in need. So we still see Peter, but we see Peter transformed, the best of Peter, right? This is this is Peter at his best. In the Gospel of Mark, we see this action-oriented servant of God. Peter's vision of who Jesus was was God on the move. He was constantly doing, interacting, engaging, having conversations, confronting, right? That's what we see. And so we stepped into Mark understanding hopefully a little bit more who Peter was, so the actual author, and even though that Mark gets the credit for it, right, and wrote it down. And so when we stepped into Mark, I adopted the outline of the book from Talk Through the Bible, and it's a five-part outline. So we had the presentation of the servant, that's Jesus Christ, just the first chapter of the gospel. And then part two is what we're wrapping up today, and that's the opposition of the servant. So, you know, we don't get far into the ministry of Christ, and he has opposition. You know, I, I think that that's worth us just sitting into and realizing, look, you don't have to get far into following Christ before you, too, will have opposition. If you're going to stand for truth, certainly today in today's culture, in a culture that says there is no truth but your own individual, you do your truth, right? Which is the biggest lie ever. There is rock solid, absolute truth available to you and me in the person of Jesus Christ and in God's word. When we embrace that fundamental truth, we will have opposition. And we see that in the life of Christ, right? Immediately immediately to use Peter's word, we see as he steps into his ministry, there is opposition. And there will be fewer and I too. That's one of the powerful things about studying the life of Christ is we see in the way he lived and walked how we ought respond and engage with the culture around us. So part one, presentation of the servant. Part two, opposition of the servant. And that's chapters two through eight through today. And then in coming weeks, we will tackle the instruction of the servant. Very important. Jesus takes chapters 9 through 10 and instructs those that would follow him. And that's not just the disciples at that point in history, but that's you and me. That's you and me. Then part four is rejection of the servant. Very important. 
Mark 11 through chapter 15, and then Glory to God, part five, Resurrection of the Servant. So his death on the cross of Calvary is not the end of the story, right? Resurrection on the third day. We'll get to that in coming weeks. But I wanted you to see this progression where we are now that we're in the middle. I want to do a little bit of review. I hope that's helpful to you. If you're just now stepping in, welcome. We're glad you're here. There are study guides available over at rachelcarmen.com, not just for this series, but for any of the teachings that we do here. It is my hope, it is my hope to just fan the flames. I just want for you, for you to go, I want to get in my Bible and dig that out. I want to study that more. I want to understand that better. That is what my desire is. That's what my heartbeat is, is that you will hear something here or hear something that we read or something over in a study guide that will just make you want to get your Bible out and study more. That's success to me. I've had the privilege and the honor of sitting under teachers that did that for me that just just ignited a flame in me that wanted to study God's word and wanted to know him more. So that's what I'm hoping to do here. Don't have all the answers. Don't, wouldn't give them to you if I did, because I want you to dig them out yourself. I think that's the real power of it. So far then in this part two, we've heard Jesus say these following things, because I think these are important. Study the words of Jesus. He said, follow me, um, when he had confronted the man with a withered hand, he said, stretch out your hand. And I love to think about, you know, what is God asking you to stretch out and give to him? In Mark 4, listen to this. And he told a parable in Mark 4 and 5. He said, your faith has made you well. You want to be well in the most important aspect of your life? Spiritual wellness is what we need to pursue. And faith is what leads to spiritual wellness. Then we have in Mark 6, he says to his disciples, come away with me. And the whole idea of you and I need to make sure that we do take time to be alone and away with Jesus. Not with our phones, not with our iPads or anything else, just with him, to get away with him. Then in Mark 7, again, a reiteration, he says, listen to me. He's pleading with those around him to listen to himself. And you and I would be well served to listen to him as well. Mark 8, what we have today, this is the question that we don't get to initially. We're going to get there. But here's the question that really summarizes, I think, Mark 8 is, who do you say that I am? So let that sort of sit and um, simmer on the back burner as we dive in now to Mark 8. There are just a few verbs that are associated in this passage with the Christ. Again, he is action-oriented. That's what we're called to, is to engage in this culture. As you go, as you live your life, day in and day out, engage the culture as his witnesses, as you know what he's already done for you. The miracles he's already worked in your life. You may say, oh, no, I've not. Oh, yes, you have. Oh, yes, you have. There are things that you know, that you know that God has done in miraculous ways in your life. And if you can't think of those, ask him in prayer to reveal those to you. Because I promise he has done wondrous things in your life. And and you need to remember those things. You need to keep a list of those things. So here are the verbs associated with Jesus in chapter 8. He felt, he challenged, he warned, he spit, touched, and healed. That's in reference to a blind man. We'll see if we get to that today. He questioned, he foretold, he rebuked. 
and he taught. Let's dive right in. So right here in chapter 8, at the beginning of 8, we have a situation that seems to be a repeat of chapter 6. And that is in chapter 6, we saw Jesus feed the 5,000, beginning in verse 13 through 44 of that chapter. And here at the beginning of chapter 8, and must remember that chapter divisions and the verse divisions are not inspired. Those were man-made so that we could study the word maybe more efficiently and effectively. Sometimes that's up for question. But just remember that those breaks were interjected. Those are not inspired of God, but they're helpful tools that we have. But over in six, we have the feeding of the 5,000. We pick up in chapter eight with the feeding of the 4,000. When I come back, we'll do some compare and contrast of those two passages. Is it hard to spark meaningful conversations with your kids? Whether you're a homeschool hero, planning activities for the next family vacation, or simply gathering around the dinner table, we've got something that can help. Introducing the Daily Family Conversation Starter by best-selling author Katie Clemens. This remarkable book offers 365 imaginative ways to connect with your children in just five minutes each day with prompts like, who made you laugh today? Or what would you do if you had a tail? These simple questions open up a world of laughter, curiosity, and deeper connections. From dinner time to sleepy time, the Daily Family Conversation Starter is your key to creating memories that will last a lifetime. Don't wait to transform your family's daily routine into an adventure of discovery and fun. Grab your copy of the Daily Family Conversation Starter today, wherever books are sold. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org impact. Okay, so... If we go back to chapter 6 in verse 33 through 44, where we have the the retelling of the feeding of the 5,000, one of the things that I I think is interesting to just note at the beginning, and I challenge you to do a more in-depth compare and contrast. In other words, lay these two passages of Scripture side by side and list out all the comparatives, all the things that are similar or the same, and then on the other side of your piece of paper, list out all the things that are different. It's just a great way to study Scripture. Remember, we're trying to do a close read for this study of the Gospel of Mark. That's another dimension of a close read, is to just lay it down and look at the things that are the same and the things that are different. It's a great life skill. If you're a mom of teenagers, homeschool mom, Teaching your kids to compare and contrast, great life skill. And this is a great opportunity to do that. Over in chapter 6, the feeding of the 5,000, it's the disciples that highlight the problem at hand. And so picking up in verse 35, it says, When it was already late, his disciples came to him. And they said, This place is desolate, and it's already quite late. Send these people away so that they may go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. It's interesting to me any time in Scripture where the disciples felt like they needed to inform Messiah. And apparently that's what they felt like they needed to do at that point. And I'm going to just suggest to you, he knew that. 
he was aware of that. He knew the time. He knew the size of the crowd. He knew what they needed. He knew where they were. And yet the disciples come and they're like, hey, um, I don't know that you're noticing this, but here's the situation, right? And you'll remember, I love this. I love this. Over in chapter 6, Jesus responded to them and said, you give them something to eat. Well, we can't take that apart now or today, but that, that's a powerful moment in Scripture. Here in verse 8, we have something a little different. So it begins, it says, In those days when they were again with a large crowd, they had nothing to eat. And Jesus called the disciples to him. Now, here's a flip, right? The disciples highlighted the issue in chapter 6. Here in chapter 8, the feeding of the 4,000, it's Jesus who initiates the situation. He highlights it. He says then, in verse 2, Jesus is speaking, I feel compassion for the people because they have remained with me these three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from great distance. That clearly Jesus knows a lot about the crowd. They've been already with him for three days, right? Is that what it says? Yes. Been with them for three days, and they have run out of food. So I'm, I'm thinking maybe they brought something initially, but they, they don't have anything else. And Jesus knows that. Jesus knows. I don't know what your life situation is today, but you need to know that Jesus knows. He knows. He knows how long you've been in that situation. He knows the resources that you have run out of. He knows You don't have anywhere else to go. He knows your dependence on him, even when you're unwilling to admit it. He knows. And you need to know that he knows. And you need to know that you can rest in the fact that he knows. This crowd was safe with him. In the middle of nowhere, they were safe with him because he knew their need. He knew their need. But it gets better than that. It says his disciples answered, Where will anyone be able to find enough bread here in this desolate place to satisfy these people? And you know, it's at this point you just want to go, really, guys? That's the best you've got? That's your answer. Were you, weren't you, do you remember? Just seriously, Jesus responds, how many loaves do you have? This is so powerful. This is so powerful. In chapter 6, he says, you give them something to eat. You you handle this. You highlighted the problem. You fix it. Here, Jesus highlights the problem, and then he asks the disciples, how much do you have? I think the powerful thing here and something, a truth that I think resonates through all of Scripture is, God will never ask you for more than you have. He doesn't do that. He's aware of what you have. He does not ask for more than you have, but he does ask for all that you have. He does ask for all. Here Jesus says, how many loaves do you have? And they said seven. And he directed the people to sit down. It would not have mattered. Get this. It would not have mattered if they had said one. The the number that they said that they had was, was irrelevant to his solution because he was the solution. He was the solution. 
You need to know that. It's your acknowledgement that your seven loaves are not going to feed these 4,000 people. This is all I've got. I can remember so many times when all the kids were home, homeschool mother of seven, and I would just feel like I just don't have what I need to do this. I don't have enough time. I don't have resources. I don't have the know-how. I don't have the food in the refrigerator. I don't have it in the cupboards. I don't have the money in my bank. I don't have what I clearly realize that I need to do this. And Jesus whispers, it is enough. Because you have me. You have me. Listener, if he is your Lord and Master, you have him. And it is enough. Jesus, it says, directed the people to sit on the ground and taking the seven loaves. Follow this compare and contrast, right? Because you're going to get it a third time at the Lord's Supper. So that's a foreshadowing of things to come. He gave thanks, broke them. And started giving them to his disciples to serve to the people. I love this. He gave to the disciples to give to the people. Jesus did not give to the people. Not according to this reading. According to this, he gave it to the disciples. He invited, he included the disciples in blessing and satisfying the people. See, that's that's. What your role is about is Jesus invites you to participate with him and what he's already doing, right? What he's already doing. Mom, what he's already doing to bless your kids, he invites you to be a part of that. By extending the patience and the wisdom and the discernment and the know-how that is way beyond yourself that the Holy Spirit grants you as you seek and follow him day in and day out. And then you participate in what he's doing to bless your children and to grow them into the fear and the admonition of the Lord. That's what he does. That's what he does. He takes whatever you've got. He breaks it and blesses it, and then he gives it back so that you can bless those in your sphere of influence. That's how he works. And that's what we see here. And it says, picking up in eight, that they ate and they were satisfied. Another point of comparison and contrast, they had leftovers. They had more than they needed. Jesus says, I have come that you might have life and that you would have it abundantly, overflowing more than you need. And here's an example of more beyond what you can ask or imagine. I promise you that if it was possible for you to list everything that you perceive as a need in your life, that Jesus is beyond what you could ask or need. Even if you could list it all out, he's more than that. He's more than enough. He's not just enough. He's more than enough. He's more than enough. Right after this then in verse 11, in keeping with this portion, this part of the gospel of Mark, the five points that we talked about earlier, opposition arrives on the scene, shocker, in the form of the Pharisees, and they came out and they began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Go back and review chapters 1 through 7 and all the way through here, verse 10. There's been plenty of signs. There's been healings, 
miraculous feedings, all that. And here the Pharisees come asking for a sign. Those have already happened. That's already happened. You and I would be well served to remember what he's already done. What he's already done. And Jesus says, truly I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. With that kind of an attitude, he says, yeah, no. No. So then we're not going to be able to do everything in this passage. You're going to have to take some time to dig in yourself. But I want to really drill down. I want to encourage you to study on your own verses 11 all the way through 26. Okay. There's a lot there, but I really feel like it's important for us to step over that for now and go right to verse 27, because this is, this is exactly where we see Peter's cockiness come out. Now, this is a double-sided thing here because Jesus goes out of this village. I'm reading now in verse 27 of Caesarea, it says, and on his way, he questioned his disciples. A great study, I think I've mentioned this before, is study the questions that Jesus asked. Who he asked him to, the context, the question itself, how did people respond? Great study. Again, make sure you keep that study within the confines of the whole of Scripture. But it's great to consider what were the questions he asked, because very often they're, they're really relevant to you and I today. And, and this is one of them. He says to his disciples, who do the people say that I am? So I say to you, who does the culture today say Jesus is? You know, many people say, oh, he's a really great teacher. He's a really great prophet. He was a good guy. He was a good example, right? But he wasn't Lord. He wasn't God, they say. Simultaneously, right? Good teacher, not God. Here's the deal. He was a great teacher who claimed to be God. So if he wasn't God, if he isn't God, then he was a liar, right? How can he be a good teacher who claimed to be God, and yet we reject the God half and still want to hold on to the good teacher? Doesn't work that way. Doesn't work that way. You and I need to be well aware of what the culture says about who Jesus is. So he warms up the disciples with this preliminary question, who do the people say I am? But then he really hammers it. The disciples initially say, oh, some people say you're John the Baptist. Some say Elijah or one of the other prophets. And then Jesus turns around and he says this. Yeah, but who do you say that I am? You know, it's really easy often for us to be able to assess what the culture says about God and his church and his son. We can do that sometimes all day long, right? We're, we're not confused about the rejection of this culture on the person of Jesus Christ. But we're much slower for personal assessment. Where are we with who he is? Who do you say he is? That's the question, and it, it echoes over the ages, right? Who do you say I am? And Peter, here's our guy, Peter, no shocking moment here. Who speaks up? Peter does. Peter answered him, thou art the Christ, the son of God. And Jesus warned them not to tell anybody. Peter stands up and goes, I know exactly who you are. You're Christ. And Jesus says, okay. 
But we can't stop there. We have to step in now to verse 31. Don't miss this. Too often people do that and they're, woohoo, this is awesome. Let's continue. Verse 31 says this. Jesus began to teach them about the Son of Man must suffer. Now here's the deal. In chapters 8, 9, and 10 of the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is going to forecast his suffering and death. Three times. He's going to tell them, okay, you guys need to know what's going to happen. You think you know what's going to happen? And that's not it. Let me tell you what's actually going to happen. But I'm going to suggest to you, he knew that although he was going to tell them, they wouldn't get it. They wouldn't get it because they couldn't get it. It's not what they wanted to be true. All too often, you and I have predetermined what we want God to say, the answers we want him to give, such that when he does answer, we can't hear it or see it because it's not what we predetermined it ought to be. And that's what we see here with the disciples. Jesus is telling them, let me tell you what's going to happen. He began to teach them about the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and three days rise again. So it wasn't all bad. All these bad things are going to happen, but he's going to rise again. He was stating the matter plainly and Peter took him aside. Okay, so get this. Peter speaks up about who Christ is. He's the one that speaks up and answers with all the disciples around. He's the one that answers. In front of everybody else. But down here, let's see, in the second half of 32, as Jesus is teaching them about what's actually going to happen as they head to Jerusalem, Peter took Jesus aside. So he didn't say this in front of everybody. He kind of took Jesus aside, and he began to rebuke Jesus. Okay, so let's get this straight. He confesses who Jesus is just a few verses earlier. And now he's rebuking Jesus. But turning around and seeing his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter. So while Peter, it would seem, according to the passage, took Jesus aside, Jesus rebuked Peter in front of the disciples. And this is what he said. Get behind me, Satan. You are not setting your mind on God's interests, but on man's. I would suggest to you this is the strongest rebuke or confrontation we see anywhere in the Gospels of Christ toward any one person. Right here towards the disciple Peter. He says, Peter, (laughs) you're not focusing. You're not listening. You're thinking of you. You are not focused on the things of God. And he summoned the crowd with his disciples and said to them, listen to this. Verse 34, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. For what? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will man give in exchange for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and my words... In the adulterous and sinful generations, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in his glory of the Father with his holy angels. I pray 
that you will dare to dig into this passage. This is Mark 8. This is the middle of this gospel. This is when Peter is confronted by the Christ, rebuked by the Christ for not paying attention. I want to ask you, are you paying attention? Do you get who he is? Do you get who he is? Are you wanting him to be what you want him to be? Or are you daring to place your faith in who he is? Are you daring to deny yourself, to take up your cross and follow him? I'll talk to you next time. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed the show. If you have a question or comment, we invite you to send it to info at rachelcarmen.com. And while you're at Rachel's website, check out her wonderful resources, including the Word in Motion Bible Curriculum. We want to take a second to thank the team at Life Audio for their partnership with us on the podcast. They've got shows about prayer, Bible study, parenting, and more. If you go to lifeaudio.com, you'll find dozens of other faith-centered podcasts in their network. Moms, more than ever, we really do need each other. We need to be challenged, and we need accountability in the Word. Thanks for joining us, and we'll catch you in the next episode of The Real Refreshment Podcast. The Historical Jesus Podcast is the sweeping saga of the life and times of Galilean Jesus of Nazareth, as well as the faith, religion, and church founded to honor and disseminate his acts and teachings. Join me, Mark Vinette, on this fascinating journey through time, exploring the many great works of Christian theology, literature, architecture, music, and art inspired by the words and deeds of Jesus Christ.